well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm glad you've joined us on the program. I'm feeling remarkably awake, considering the fact I got up at uh, 3.45 this morning. Sitting in with uh, Larry O'Connor on WMAL in Washington, D.C. All week long, if you... Uh, get the urge to partake of a morning show. We are talking a little Second Amendment issues. We uh, talked about West Virginia's uh, new vaccine lottery that uh, Governor Jim Justice announced uh, yesterday. We've got a piece up at BarryAndArms.com about this as well. Uh, Five custom shotguns, five custom rifles included in this vaccine lottery. So anybody who's had their first dose, any West Virginia resident who has had at least their first dose of the vaccine, they are uh, eligible for this uh, lottery. They're giving away a couple of tricked out pickup trucks, giving away a million dollars, uh, two four year scholarships to uh, any uh, public institution there in West Virginia. Uh, I believe the first drawing is uh, June 20th. I don't know if it's I don't know if I've got time to move from Virginia to West Virginia in order to be eligible for that. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious about it. Uh, meanwhile, we're also uh, watching what's going on in Miami, where, you know, over the weekend there was this a shooting outside of a banquet hall. Police describing this as a targeted attack, uh, uh, gang-related uh, in essence. But there were, and while that story, by the way, got a lot of attention, there were a couple of other shootings, defensive gun uses in Miami, that didn't get near the amount of national news uh, attention. Uh, this story, locally, uh, from uh, Channel 6 in Miami Beach, man in critical condition after a woman he tried to attack shot him. This was uh, May the 30th, about 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, police arrived on scene, uh, discovered an adult male with gunshot wounds. Police say the preliminary investigation revealed that an adult female was in her vehicle when the male approached her and began to bang on her window and attack her. And then she responded to that attack by shooting him. We also have this uh, incident happened over the weekend as well. Uh, One dead, one hospitalized after an attempted robbery ends in a shootout in Midtown Miami. So in this case, you had uh, two guys who were walking their dogs or walking their dog, rather, when uh, somebody came up to them, tried to rob them at gunpoint. Turns out both of the uh, guys who were walking their dog were armed themselves. Uh, And that's when the quote-unquote shootout began. The armed robber was killed. One of his intended victims was wounded in the arm. Uh, But thankfully, both of those intended victims are going to be okay. Even the dog uh, survived, which is very good news to hear. And I'm used to defensive gun uses not getting near the attention that a mass shooting uh, is going to get. But again, if we're going to talk about violence, and if you're going to have police chiefs like Art Acevedo in Miami calling for more gun control as a result of this uh, shooting at the uh, banquet hall. Well, I I think we also need to talk about the role that armed citizens can play in preventing these types of attacks. Again, armed citizens, not the only solution. I'm not suggesting that the only thing we need to do is to ensure that constitutional carry is passed nationwide and then violent crime is going to disappear. That's a simplistic solution. It is as simplistic, frankly, as calling for universal background checks or a ban on AR-15s or a ban on, uh, quote unquote, high capacity magazines and think that that's going to solve the violent crime problem. We absolutely need to empower individuals to exercise their Second Amendment rights. But there are still going to be some criminals out there who don't get the message and they're going to continue to try to inflict harm 
uh, on the communities that they live in and uh, uh, the society at large. So I wanted to spend some time with my favorite Florida man, uh, Ryan Petty, uh, to talk about this. Ryan has um, you know, obviously delved deep into the issue of preventing both targeted attacks and violent crime more generally since his daughter was murdered at Parkland, Florida, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School back in 2018. Uh, Ryan is a good friend. He is a tremendous advocate for the right to keep and bear arms. But he is also a guy who I think is fundamentally curious about what can effectively be done to reduce violent crime without infringing on or destroying the civil liberties that we enjoy uh, as Americans. We had a great conversation about this. Take a look and a listen. Ryan, it's good to see you, sir. Thanks so much for coming on the program today. Cam, it's always great to be with you. So, you know, we we woke up, we saw the news over Memorial Day weekend about this uh, shooting outside of a, uh, a banquet hall in Miami. Um, didn't have a lot of details uh, to begin with. We we were told that this was a, a targeted attack. It looks like this was um, some type of gang activity. I know that uh, 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 Freddie Ramirez um, says that these were, you know, basically wannabe uh, gang members who were, you know, beefing on social media and then took it uh, public here. Um, and, and there's been a lot of media attention focused on this particular shooting uh, and, you know, uh, uh, talking about the rise in violence around the country. There were a couple of other defensive gun uses in Miami this same weekend that didn't get nearly as much attention. A, a woman uh, shot uh, her attacker uh, in one case, and then there was a couple of guys who were walking their bulldog when they were the uh, victims of an armed robbery. As it turns out, both of the victims were also armed, and it was the armed robber uh, who ultimately lost his life as these uh, individuals were able to protect themselves. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on what we're seeing here, not only in Florida specifically, but but around the country with the the rise in violent crime and the calls by folks like, you know, uh, Art Acevedo, the police chief in Miami, who said over the weekend that he, he thinks we need uh, to make it a federal crime to burglarize a gun store, which honestly, I hadn't really considered that before. Uh, and it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. I'm not automatically opposed to it. But then he said, you know, the other thing we need is we need these universal background checks. Um, which I have to say, I mean, I look at this shooting in Miami and I, I, I don't think that universal background checks would have stopped that from occurring, Ryan. Yeah, I agree, Cam. Look, it's early and we don't know. And, and, you know, I want to, I want to preface all of my comments by saying my heart goes out to the families of the victims. I've read about some of the stories here and I, and I've watched the footage. Um, and you know, it, it was just a heinous crime, um, innocent folks, that got caught up in what appears to be a targeted attack. Um, you know, it just, it just, it's heartbreaking to see uh, that kind of violence uh, break out in our communities. So my heart goes out to those families. It's early. We, we don't know what we don't know, but my guess is uh, background checks were not at play here. These, these guns were probably obtained illegally. And if they were, if they were obtained legally, um, then they went through a background check. So I'm not quite sure how background checks solves this problem, um, at all. Um, I, I do, uh, don't have a problem with the idea of making a federal crime to, to steal guns from a, from a gun store. Um, uh, interesting idea. Hadn't thought a lot about it. 
Yeah, I hadn't either, uh, honestly. But, you know, to me, there, there's no issue. The only issue there, I would say, is um, uh, how, how often that law would be utilized uh, at the federal level. Um, certainly, you know, when uh, individuals get referred to federal court, they're, they're typically looking at stronger sentences, longer sentences. They've got to spend more time behind bars before they're uh, eligible for parole or early release. Uh, and, and so I, I, you know, I can see the need for that. But, you know, the criminal justice system itself has some problems. I mean, 97 percent of the cases, uh, the felony cases in this country, whether at the state or federal level, end up in plea bargains. Uh, and we often see the results of this where somebody who's accused of a violent crime and we have a segment every day on this program talking about that very thing. Somebody who's accused of a violent crime who ends up getting a slap on the wrist uh, and often, you know, returns to court. Uh, th that's one of the frustrating things about this issue is that there, there is no simple solution. There is no quick fix. There's no, uh, uh, in fact, I believe there's no amount of gun control laws that you could put on the books that's going to uh, have an impact here. Because at the end of the day, you're dealing with individuals and, and their particular motivations for carrying out a heinous attack like this. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that the perpetrators of this attack know right from wrong. Uh, they, they, they know that what they did was not just illegal, but was morally abhorrent. It didn't matter. And so, again, I'm not sure that there's a as much as I would love for there to be some sort of simple legislative fix uh, by putting a new law in the books. I, I just don't know that that's going to do it. Yeah, when you look at the nature of the attack and the, the fact that these perpetrators were willing to walk into a, you know, or walk to a crowded banquet hall and indiscriminately start firing into the crowd in order to hit their intended target. Um, these are not people that care about background checks. These are not people that care about any kinds of law or obeying the law. So it's unlikely that any kind of firearms regulations or new laws uh, would dissuade them. What might work, to your point, it was interesting you brought this up in terms of the federal, um, you know, federal uh, judicial process being more strict. You know, we certainly could make local laws and our and our state laws more strict if it's if it's that they fear being prosecuted federally because of the penalties. Then we have every reason to believe that if we strengthened our local and state laws, that would that would have that same uh, effect. So, you know, I look at cities where we've got problems like this, you know, this, there were three incidents that I'm aware of in Miami where these, you know, attacks happened over the past weekend. And well, and I'll get to why I think this is happening. But, you know, that's a slow weekend in Chicago. And Chicago's got lots of gun regulations. What they don't do, I think, effectively is catch the perpetrators and then make them pay the price by spending time in jail and in prison. It's a revolving door in many cases, or these crimes go unsolved. And so, uh, you know, we've got to fund our police. We've got to do better training. There's a lot we can do on the preventative side. I I saw in this case in Miami, Cam, where Marcus Limonis, uh, who's a CNBC star, uh, the show called The Prophet. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. Very interesting guy. He he put up a hundred thousand dollar reward for this, uh, for information leading to the to the arrest and you know capture and arrest of these perpetrators. Um, you know, people will come forward because of that, because of the reward. I guess it's up to a total of a hundred and thirty thousand now for information. But 
I'm guessing people knew about this attack before. And what we need to figure out, I think, as a society is how do we get folks to let authorities know when they have information about these pending attacks? Because mm -hmm. if we can prevent them, that's far better than than trying to pay a reward for tips after the fact and after all these lives were uh, were destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. And and you and I have talked about this in terms of that uh, Secret Service report that came out mm -hmm. a couple of months ago on preventing targeted attacks on, on school grounds. Right. But I, I think what you're describing here is a a very real phenomena. And and I would actually argue that there are a couple of things at work. One, there is the the hostility towards law enforcement um, in many quarters. Right. And so you don't want to talk to the police because the police are seen as uh, the bad guys themselves. But but even for folks who don't view police as the enemy, there's, I think, a very genuine fear that if they speak up, something might happen to them. Um, and, you know, that that hinders, I think, law enforcement investigations. We've And, and this is, again, nothing new. I mean, I remember back in the 1990s, you had uh, row homes in Baltimore that were firebombed uh, after the occupants called the police and said, hey, they're dealing drugs on the corner. Come arrest these guys. Uh, you know, they, they were arrested and then they were put back out on the streets a few days later. Their associates were never put behind bars and the retaliation occurred. So one of the things that I'd actually really like to see is, you know, the Biden administration talks about, um, you know, giving five billion dollars to fund uh, gun violence prevention efforts. I, I'd really like to see witness protection programs and witness protection services. Uh, the budgets for those things increased dramatically and federal grant money going to local law enforcement agencies, because I think that's a huge concern. If if people are afraid to speak out uh, and they're afraid to talk to the police about what they know because of, of their concern over retaliation, then that does make it harder. And in some cases, impossible for law enforcement to find these suspects and bring them to justice. You know, it's an interesting idea. And um, there, there's a name, uh, Tangela Sears. I don't know if you've heard that name or, or not before, but she's a mother in Miami that lost her son to gun violence. And over the weekend, she said something very similar to that, which is she wanted more money to go to finding these perpetrators and, and, and being able to prosecute them. And so the idea of, of funding uh, things like, uh, you know, like you're describing where where somebody can come forward with information and be protected and be anonymous and or go into some sort of a witness protection program to protect themselves and their family I think are would be far more valuable than trying to you know close a so-called you know gun show loophole or whatever you know whatever else we're trying to do that that isn't going to solve the problem so I think we have to make it easier for people to come forward I think there's broad su support in the community, uh, especially here in Florida, for spending money in the right places. But we, I, I would go for victim services or ways to protect witnesses as a better use of the funds than trying to, uh, you know, stop, you know, somebody from purchasing uh, a firearm from a friend or a family member that uh, is got almost zero chance of being used in a crime. Absolutely. Now, you, you said a couple of minutes ago that, that you would get to what you think is is driving this rise in violent crime. And I'm very curious to to hear your take on this, because I know that you talk with a lot of law enforcement officials. Uh, you've been uh, working with the Sheriff Grady Judd down there in Florida. What what are you hearing from police and, and what are you seeing yourself 
that, that you think may be driving this increase in violent crime that we're seeing around the country? So, you know, if you think about what we've just been through as a nation, right, and as a society, we've been through uh, a year unlike any year that almost anyone alive has ever experienced before. This was, you know, 2020 was the year of lockdowns and mask mandates and and an election and back and forth, uh, you know, over uh, the, the politics of the science, really, right? Um, but people have been locked down and away from friends and family and, and loved ones and af- af- away from their uh, typical routine. And one of the things we've learned uh, around these school attacks has been that they typically come after a period of absence. Um, so an ex- a suspension or an expulsion or could be a graduation, but it's a period of absence and then that those um, uh, those feelings of you know needing to carry out the attack kind of kind of um, swell right inside these perpetrators. I just uh, I just finished a book uh, reading a manuscript for a, for an author, Dr. Peter Langman, who's coming out with a book very soon, and he goes through and he's analyzed a lot of these uh, school attackers in particular. And, and we notice that these things come after this absence. So, I, you know, we've been locked up, so to speak, as a country for the better part of a year, more than a year now. And there's been confusion and strife and disagreement over how best to protect yourself and your family and what's the right thing to do. And it's been a, it's been a really turbulent time. And I can't help but think that folks that would have been seeking mental health services in a, in a, in a place where they weren't locked down and could do that more readily, um, would, were going to the office, just doing, you know, going to the grocery store, just doing the normal things that we do in life. Those things didn't happen the same way in 2020. So I think, uh, I'm not surprised to see maybe a, a, a spike in, in, in violence coming after this sort of long, you know, national pandemic that we've been through. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you also think that, uh, I, you know, I, I thought about this last week, uh, Jen Psaki, Jen I always want to pronounce the P in her name, but uh, Jen Psaki uh, was asked, uh, you know, do we have a, a crime problem in this country? And she said, well, we have a guns problem uh, and, you know, kind of pointed to the, uh, the the rise in gun sales as perhaps the other uh, reason for this rise in violent crime. Uh, I pointed out at Bearing Arms that, you know, we actually we, 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 we've seen a rise in non-gun related uh, uh, crimes as well. Even traffic fatalities went up in 2020, though there were way fewer of us on the road, far less miles traveled, but traffic fatalities actually increased. And one of the reasons that uh, has been given is the fact that because there were fewer people on the road, because uh, law enforcement was sort of scaling back, they weren't arresting people uh, unless they absolutely needed to. They didn't want to have, you know, the pandemic break out behind bars. That there was just this sort of, I don't want to say a culture of lawlessness, but it, it, it was this sort of enabling effect. If you wanted to break the law, uh, it was a little bit easier to do so without facing any consequences. Whether we're talking about driving 90 miles down the road or, again, committed an armed robbery or a carjacking or taking an innocent human life, that 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 also played a role in the spike in crime that we saw that began in 2020 has really continued this year. Oh, I, I agree. And then you looked at the summer, right? Where, 
where, you know, mostly peaceful protests turn into riots and looting and all of the other things that were going on. And none, you know, very few, if any of those people were actually charged with, with a crime or held accountable for those actions. So I think people learn, right? You're frustrated. You've been locked up. You may have lost your job. You may have lost your business. Things aren't going well at home. Uh, this, you know, there, there are a lot of pressures and anxiety on folks. And then you see sort of lawlessness break out over the summer. Um, and, and, and clearly we're frustrated as a, as a society. And I can't, you know, and I can't help but think that coupled with the fact that people aren't seeking medical care in the ways they did, including mental health services that, uh, you know, I'm not surprised to see this spike right now. I've not seen any studies that indicate uh, causality here or anything like that. So I don't want to go further than that. But I'm mm -hmm. just trying to say, look, we know we know that school attacks generally happen after uh, a break uh, in, in sort of coming back to coming back to school the first week or two after school starts. And I can't help but think as we sort of restart our society and people go back to work and kind of get back to back to quote unquote normal, whatever that means now, um, that a lot of that anxiety and frustration that's built up uh, over the past year and then seeing what we saw over the summer, um, I, I can't help but think that we're going to see a spike. Well, I, you know, I'd love to say I, uh, that you're wrong, but I, I, sadly, I agree with you. I think we will see that. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, I, I think we're already, uh, seeing it to some degree. Um, and I, I hope that as, you know, life returns to quote unquote normal, that those folks who, who are feeling that stress, who are feeling that pressure, um, I hope that they do reach out, uh, to, to, to someone to talk to, whether it is a, you know, crisis hotline, whether it's finding a, uh, a counselor they can meet with either virtually or in person. Uh, there's absolutely no shame in, in getting help, uh, when you're having these types of thoughts. And there's also getting back to your original point. There's also no shame in telling somebody when you see someone else, uh, in the midst of a crisis or, uh, you know, threatening, uh, uh, you know, uh, engaging in threatening behavior. This is the best way to stop it is to say something. 100%. Um, call law enforcement. Um, they can guide you to the right place. It doesn't always end, a, uh, end in an arrest, but it, it ends up better than it would have if you didn't make the call. And that's just... That's just how it is. So if you see somebody in distress, friend or family member or neighbor, uh, now's the time to reach out and uh, take, care of, uh, take care of each other. And uh, I think if we do that, we can get through this next period where we, where we get back to whatever is normal, right? Whatever that means. Right. Absolutely. All right. One last question for you, uh, Ryan. And I don't know if you even know the answer to this, but... Do you think, does the increase in violence that we've seen in Florida, does that change the calculus at all politically in terms of gun control? I mean, you still have groups like uh, ban assault weapons now who are, you know, trying to get on the ballot to ban AR-15s. You've got uh, Nikki Freed, who just announced she's running for uh, for governor, wanting to take on Ron DeSantis. Um, and obviously she's going to be talking a lot about, uh, you know, quote unquote, common sense uh, gun safety regulations. How do you think um, how do you think this is going to play out politically in Tallahassee in terms of the rising violent crime and the calls from the left for more gun control? Well, fortunately, I, you know, we, we're blessed with uh, with 
a great legislature and a great governor. Uh, I'd like to say best governor in the in the 50 states. So we're fortunate to have Gov- Governor DeSantis. So I don't think the calls for more gun control will go very far. Uh, fortunately, they're not the solution. Um, and so I don't think we'll see that happen here in Florida. Um, what I what I do think is that you'll actually see an expansion of freedom. Um, that's been what the governor has been calling for since the beginning of his his term in office. And of course, when he was elected, he had no idea that uh, you know he'd he'd be facing a pandemic, uh, a global pandemic, and and have to carve a path, uh, a different path for Florida than many other governors and many other states took. And so been very, very pleased with the approach the governor's taken. He's followed the science, as they say. Um, we opened our schools uh, very quickly. We got our kids back in school so people could get back to, to their jobs and back to life and back to some sense of normalcy. We didn't see any uh, outbreaks or any concerns in the, in the schools, so we did that very safely. Um, I think calls for more gun control in the state of Florida are going to fall on deaf ears. And um, and I think that's good. We can weather this this storm and get through it. And uh, and then I'd like to see the Florida legislature and the governor actually expand uh, gun rights in the state of Florida, including constitutional carry, which should have gotten further than it did in the legislature this year. And uh, I think there are lots of folks in Florida that will be pushing for that. Uh, next session. I, I suspect that you're right. And and the fact that, uh, you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, got assigned constitutional carry as well as a Second Amendment sanctuary legislation. I don't want to say it puts pressure on on Ron DeSantis and Republicans in Florida, but uh, it, it kind of does in a way. You know, I, I think that um, especially hey, we talk about 2024, there's a lot of talk about uh, Greg Abbott running for president, a lot of talk about Ron DeSantis running for president. Um, and and I, I would hope that there's some positive peer pressure that's applied uh, by uh, Texas uh, embracing constitutional carry and a uh, segment of sanctuary language. I'd love to see that happen in Florida, too. Now, it's one of the beauties of our federal system, right, is we can each state can experiment a little bit. And you're seeing that uh, we saw that massively in 2020 with the response to the pandemic mm-hmm. states that were that were more open and didn't do the lockdowns and and versus uh, the states that did. And so. They're laboratories, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful experiment. I love the competition, and bring it on, Texas. (laughs) All right, Ryan. As always, sir, it is good talking with you. Now that I'm fully vaccinated, I can actually hang out with people in person. Uh, We need to try to figure out a way to uh, to do this on-camera stuff in the same room in the very near future. I, I like that very much. Me too, sir. Ryan Petty, as always, thank you so much for your time. Again, really uh, thank Ryan Petty for joining us on the program. Hopefully, we've got a chance to uh, talk to him again in the very near future. Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Uh, I know we already had two of them, but we're going to give you one more. Uh, our good uh, deed of the day, our recidivist report. Let's start there. New York State, where a uh, judge has set bail at a dollar for a suspect in a uh, murder case in Albany, New York. Yeah, a dollar. Now, as it turns out, this murder suspect is still behind bars because federal authorities have said, well, he violated his probation in another case, so we're going we're gonna to hold him. So that, that's the good news. This guy did not actually get out after having to post just a dollar bond. But uh, Jawan Saab, 
um, is the uh, suspect in question. He was charged with murder for a fatal shooting in Albany, New York, that left five others with gunshot wounds. And prosecutors there locally say that uh, city court judge Joshua Farrell lacked authority to set bail in the case to begin with, and that he misapplied some of these uh, bail reform laws that were passed by Democrats, signed by uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, over the past couple of years. The judge set bail at a dollar after Saab's attorney said they were going to waive going forward with a preliminary hearing. That would have required prosecutors to present uh, evidence for charging him with fatally shooting uh, 35-year-old Sharf Adelim. Uh, So this case is going to go to a grand jury. The DA said, we're searching right now to determine whether or not this can be appealed. We're still exploring these options, but luckily there's a federal probation hold. But if they lift that probation hold, then we have a person who's accused of murder walking the streets on $1 bail. Uh, Saab's attorney, Rebecca Sokol, who's an assistant public defender there, said the judge's intention was, quote, trying to make sure that his time counts. No matter what, he's not going anywhere. Well, again, that's not exactly true. Because if the Justice Department and the U.S. Attorney's Office in this case were to lift that probation hold, then, yeah, Mr. Saab would be going somewhere. He'd have to literally pay four quarters and he could walk out of jail uh, until that uh, grand jury potentially uh, returns a, uh, a charge here. Saab, by the way, does have a previous criminal history. Back in 2017, he was arrested in Troy, New York, charged with a felony gang assault as well as assault with intent to cause serious physical injury with a weapon, he later pleaded guilty to a felony assault charge. Uh, No word on what type of sentence uh, he received. Back in uh, February uh, of uh, this year, he was sentenced to eight months in jail by a uh, federal judge. Uh, In that case, he admitted using Facebook Live videos to threaten Troy police. This was a, uh, I guess this was, okay, so this was actually last year, last February. He was sentenced to eight months in jail. Uh, And then three years of supervised release, which, again, he allegedly violated when he allegedly committed this murder. So, you know, I'd love to say that uh, the justice system is going to work perfectly and uh, Juwan Saab is going to remain behind bars until uh, his murder trial takes place. I have I have no faith or confidence in that whatsoever. And because of New York's uh, criminal justice reform efforts or the bail reform efforts, you now have a situation where you can literally be accused of taking a human life, of injuring five other people, and you can get out of jail after posting $1 bail. All right, on to uh, today's armed citizen story. Um, another from Florida. By the way, I know we just gave you two from Miami a little bit ago, but we've got one from Sarasota. This from the uh, Bradenton Herald, where a homeowner shot and killed a man who was breaking into his home. This was late Tuesday night. Deputies reported that an individual had been uh, found dead at the scene. Uh, This morning, the sheriff's office released more information, reporting that a homeowner had shot the suspect as he was attempting to break into the home there. Uh, Sheriff's office has not released the name of the uh, alleged intruder, but noted that the deceased man and the homeowner did not know one another. Sheriff's office said, uh, quote, detectives and forensics personnel currently processing the crime scene. Additional details will be released later today. So hopefully we'll get more information. But uh, what we know is that uh, that case in Sarasota, Florida, uh, according to the sheriff's office, a case of armed self-defense and the homeowner not expected to face 
any charges. Finally today, our good deed of the day. And I got to tell you, I love this story. This is from uh, also from Fort Myers, Florida. I don't know why we're so Florida-centric on this program today. I feel like the Florida Tourism Bureau, well, maybe not with the topics that we're discussing. I was going to say maybe they should sponsor the program, but probably not. But, uh, okay, so Armed Citizen Story from Florida. Good deed of the day from Florida. Fort Myers, Florida. Tiara Brown. This is uh, Tiara. She is a uh, former professional boxer. She actually won the gold medal in the uh, 2012 World Championships for Team USA. And she got a uh, degree in criminal justice from Columbus University. And she became a police officer uh, in Washington, D.C. 2019, she was named the Metropolitan Police Officer of the Year. And she said this uh, is not easy for her to be a black woman. Uh, and a police officer she said, people say, are you black or are you blue? And she said, well, of course I'm black. Anyone can see that. But she says, I'm a person. I'm a child of God. And I'm a community servant. And she it really is a community servant. She has um, started a scholarship program. Didn't go out and get corporate funding for this. This is her own money. It's the Tierra Brown Academic and Athletic Scholarship. And students in Southwest Florida uh, are eligible for this. Uh, Tiara Brown spent six years with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., but she's now moved back home to Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, she is serving with the Fort Myers Police Department. So she has put together this scholarship program. uh, And this year, two students each received a $1,000 college scholarship. uh, Not only thanks to Tiara Brown, but uh, there was another individual in the community, uh, Keith White, who matched uh, T.R. Brown's scholarship money. And these two kids are going to be going to college in in part because of the support that uh, Officer Brown has given them. So I know most of our good deeds of the day are instances where someone was in the right place at the right time, willing able to do the right thing, as we say. This is more of a long-term good deed. This, This takes some time, putting money aside, saving it for not a rainy day, but for uh, a, a, a worthy cause of helping individuals who might not otherwise be able to get a uh, higher education to help them reach their potential. And so uh, I imagine that T.R. Brown would say that she's actually in the right place at home in her uh, hometown of Fort Myers, Florida, certainly doing the right thing. And uh, Officer T.R. Brown, we do thank you for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. We will be back tomorrow uh, with the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Don't forget, you can subscribe to uh, BearingArms.com. You can become a VIP member. You're going to get exclusive analysis, commentary, and more. All you have to do is go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. You can use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your membership. If you want to go uh, above and beyond that, you're certainly welcome to do so. You can become a VIP gold member as well. That'll get you access to even more good stuff, not just at Town Hall, but throughout the uh, town, or excuse me, not just Bearing Arms, but throughout the Town Hall media family of websites. You can also find us on YouTube by looking for Town Hall Media or on uh, Rumble.com. Just look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company. You can find us there. Uh, and uh, Apple, uh, Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcast. See, now I'm starting to fade. That getting up at 3.45 in the morning stuff starting to impact me. So I better wrap it up here. 
Let's just end it here. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.